Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Hallelujah. God bless you. Good to see you all on Wednesday night. Amen. Those watching online, we're glad to have you as well. Why don't you just turn around and tell somebody it's good to see them on a Wednesday night. You can be seated after you've completed that assignment. Welcome to Valentine's month. Can you feel the love in the air? It's not just COVID. There's other things that can be in the air. Amen. Tonight we're starting a new series that calling happily ever after. And if you have the church center app and you want to have access to the scriptures and some of the various points I'm going to be sharing. You can go ahead and go to the Church Center app, and I'm giving you permission to be on your phone uh, during church, and as long as it's in the Church Center app, and then you can follow along, and I believe there's a tab at the bottom that says Sermon Notes, and you can click on that. Is that correct? Oh, it's right here. Yeah, Sermon Notes. It's located on the What's Next tab. They set me up so good, so good that I, I, I fumble it anyway. So uh, that's where you'll find the notes, and then uh, our, 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 our series title is, is right here, Happily Ever After, and, and I'm sure that as you heard me say this Sunday and maybe thought about it the last few days, this, this phrase, happily ever after, always comes at the conclusion of fairy tales. It always is added on there at the end of uh, of fairy tales, and you, you know what happens. Prince Charming comes along, and he rescues the damsel in distress, and they ride off into the sunset together to live happily ever after. And that, that's what many people think about when they think about marriage. They think that, you know, we're signing up for this fairy tale that we're about to embark on this happily ever after. And they think, you know, okay, you know, what's before us now is, you know, white picket fences and we're going to get a dog and we're going to have 2.5 children and everything is just going to be lovely because we're so in love and we're so infatuated with one another and we just have to be in each other's presence all the time and we just we, we, we just talk and talk and text and text and and when we get married, then it's just going to be a great extension of that, just spending all of our waking hours together, happily, ever after. As a matter of fact, I've seen this phrase used repeatedly as couples get engaged. They'll post something on social media, uh, something like this. Today, I said yes to my happily ever after. Or today I found my happily ever after. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't really have any problems with that. I'm not throwing stones. And uh, it, it's wonderful to have that, that, you know, kind of view and perspective. But, you know, some, sometimes you got to mix in a little bit of reality because life is not a fantasy. Life is not a fairy tale. It's real. And, and with, with, with real life comes challenges. When real life, you know, presents itself, you have opportunities to make decisions, to work through things, to grow in your understanding. And that, that to me is where the real beauty of a marriage comes out is when, when two people begin to function as one, to work together, to compromise where compromise is needed, to serve the Lord together because together we can do so much more than we could on our own. And so, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really have problems with happily ever after and, you know, for you wanting that and us wanting that, uh, not, not necessarily, but, you know, couples that, that are on this side of marriage and maybe you're getting ready to get engaged and they move from that engagement phase and if, and if they don't do anything different than the rest of what society is doing as it pertains to marriage then statistics tell us that happily ever after really isn't 
as lasting and as permanent as it sounds, at least not for 50% of couples. Because statistics tell us 50% of couples, marriages, end up in divorce. That's not a real good ratio, is it? Uh, I mean, how many, how many things are you taking where you've got 50-50 odds? It's not really the best odds. But the problem is that so many people try to do marriage the way the world does marriage, the way everybody else does marriage. And if we try to do that, you know, we're really not going to beat the odds. And so how, how can we be the outlier? How, how can we how can we overcome and survive the onslaught that is against marriage in this day? Well, to put it very plainly, we've got to go about doing marriage God's way instead of the world's way because it's pretty obvious that the world's way isn't working. If only 50% of marriages are making, something's wrong. So the world's way is not working. So to help us to be able to buck the odds, to help us to be able to do things God's way instead of the way the rest of the world is doing it. We're gonna look at a few couples from scripture so that we can learn from their mistakes and emulate their successes. We're gonna start with a couple tonight with a, a kind of one of those weird Old Testament twists. And if you're not, you know, if you've not been living for the Lord very long or you're new to the Bible, then, then some of this can, can, might seem a little bit outlandish, a little bit foreign to you tonight. But, but bear with me because the account that we're going to deal with tonight, it, it's not really about two people. You know, that's what a couple is, right? Husband and wife. But this account in the Old Testament, it's about three people. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament story, the Bible tells us that our, one of our patriarchs, Jacob, he, when he was young, he, he saw this beautiful girl, this beautiful girl named Rachel. And what we kind of pick up from Scripture that with Jacob and Rachel, especially with Jacob, it was love at first sight. And so seemingly their happily ever after was going to be on from that moment. Jacob saw her, he loved her, he thought she was beautiful, he just had to have her hand in marriage, and so it should be happily ever after, but not so fast. Let me try to quickly provide some context before we go to the text. Jacob traveled, the Bible tells us, to a, a well and to draw water, and, and it was at that well that he took notice of this fair lady. He, his, his uncle Laban's daughter, as a matter of fact, caught his eye, and it, her name was Rachel, and instantly Jacob was smitten by the beauty of Rachel. And so here we have it, just because of Rachel's appearance, just because of Rachel's looks, Jacob fell in love with her. And I know for some, this story might already be a little bit weird because I just told you that Jacob fell in love with his cousin. And they're not even from Kentucky. But things were different then. And if you're from Kentucky, please forgive me. I had to find some state to pick on. I'm from Mississippi, so I couldn't pick on Mississippi, even though it... The shoe fits, right? If the shoe fits. So, you know, I mean, here, here Jacob is, and he, he falls for his cousin. Things were diff different then, and, you know, don't, don't get hung up on that. Don't, you know, keep, keep moving along with me as I give you the context here. But once Jacob took notice of Rachel, once he saw her, he was obsessed. He was absolutely consumed. And he had one mission. He had to marry that girl. He had, to marry, he had to make Rachel his wife. And likely in his mind, he thought, you know, if he, if he could just make Rachel his, his wife, then everything would be right in his world. The birds would always sing if he could just marry Rachel. The sun would always shine and all of his longings would be satisfied and he would be complete if he could just marry that girl. And can I tell you that that kind of thinking continues in the day and age that we live in? You see, the fact of the matter is that people, 
put all kind of unrealistic expectations on what marriage is supposed to be. And unrealistic expectations are dangerous when you import them in to a marriage. Many times we think that getting married is going to fix all of our problems. We think that getting married is going to it's going to satisfy those feelings of inadequacy that we deal with. We think that getting married is going to fill the emptiness in our lives. And if you know anything about Jacob's backstory, you'll know that there were some internal issues that he struggled with. You, you will know that there were some things that, that he battled with because of his past. And, and then those things could only be addressed later by a life-changing encounter with God. But he didn't know that yet. And here he is fixated on, on, on Rachel. Here he is obsessed with, with Rachel. And, and if I can just get her, and if I can just marry her. It's very possible at this point that Jacob was pinning all of his hopes on Rachel. So let's pick up the story in Genesis chapter 29, beginning with verse number 16. Now Laban, this is Uncle Laban, right? Uncle Laban had two daughters, and the name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were delicate. Here, here's what other versions, and if you've got your Bible open, maybe to King James or something else, you'll see this. Other versions say that our eyes were, they, they were weak, right? So this, this really isn't a compliment that's being paid to Leah. It's being pointed out she had a flaw. She had an apparent flaw. Her eyes were delicate, but Rachel, on the other hand, Rachel was beautiful of form, and of appearance. And I'll just let you figure out what that means. So Leah's eyes were, were weak, this passage says. And can I be honest tonight, church? Well, we just read that was really just a, a polite way of saying Rachel wasn't super attractive. That, that was just a nice way. She has delicate eyes. She has weak eyes. It was just kind of a nice way to go about that. What he, what, what we, he wasn't trying to communicate to us that Leah didn't have 20-20 vision, that Leah wore glasses. That, that's not what he was trying to communicate there. But he goes on to say in the very next follow-up, but Rachel, on the other hand, now she was beautiful. She was, she, was, she was a beautiful person. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful. Now, please understand tonight that physical attraction isn't unimportant. It has its place. Physical attraction has a role to play in life, and especially between opposite sexes. God made us so that we would be attracted to the opposite sex, and that is a good thing. Can I get an Amen. It's a good thing. But can we agree tonight that in our day, that looks and appearance and image, that it's way out of balance? It's way out of balance and it's way overvalued. The fact of the matter is that we live in a skin deep world. We live in a hyper sexualized society. And because of that, an inordinate amount of importance is placed on the external and the internal is minimized. And in fact, as we go through this story tonight, we're going to see that Leah, the one who had the weak eyes, the, the older one, the less attractive one, Leah was really the superior of the two in the long run. But so often today, the only thing that seems to matter to us is how they look. And that's all that Jacob was working with. That's all that Jacob had access to at that point when he fell in love with Rachel. He didn't know her when he walked up to that well. He wasn't acquainted with her values. He didn't know what her personality was like. He didn't understand her giftings and what her drive and mission in life was. He didn't know about anything except her beauty, her looks. He just saw that she was pleasant to look upon, and he wanted her to be his wife. And yes, that is important, but it's not everything. I hope we settled that. But many times, that is all anyone ever worries about. 
especially when it comes to the, the dating side of things. That's, that's all, you know, someone focuses on, oh, you know, he's so handsome. Oh, she's so, she's so good looking. Okay, but do they have a shred of character? Have you thought about that? Do, do they love the Lord with all of their heart? Does he have what it takes to be the spiritual leader of the home? Is she going to be a godly companion for you? Oh, it doesn't matter how gorgeous she is. There's some other things that matter. And likely this is what was going on with Jacob. He was consumed by Rachel's beauty. And he was thinking, you know what, if I can just get this girl, she's going to bring fulfillment to my life. If I can just marry Rachel. Can I tell you tonight that the premise that marriage is all that you need to be fulfilled, that marriage is all that you need in order to be happy, that's a faulty premise. That's a faulty premise. So let me share three ways that this is true. If you're taking notes, you're welcome to write some of these down. Number one, first, when you believe that marriage is the answer, then you wind up compromising more than you should. When you think that marriage is going to complete you, it's going to solve all your problems, then in order to get married, you wind up compromising more than you should. You give up some things that are important to you. You'll, you'll compromise on things that are important to God in pursuit of that one person that you think, hey, they hold the answer. If I can just have them, if I can just be with them, if they'll just put a ring on it, then everything's going to make sense. Everything's going to come together. Everything in my life is going to be complete. Now, for the next few moments, I'm going to talk to us all, but especially right now, I want to talk to those who aren't married yet, those who maybe want to be married someday. Here, here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 29, beginning with verse number 18. Now, Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, Laban, Uncle Laban, I'm going to serve you for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Again, that seems a little off. That seems a little out of place. That might seem a little bit weird to some that, that you know what, what, what's going on here? He wants to get married. He's not looking for a job, but now he's offering to work for his uncle for seven years so that he can have the hand of Rachel. But in that day, working to obtain someone's hand in marriage, you know, that, that, was, that was expected. There was a dowry of sorts that, that was expected to come from, 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 the, from the fiance to the father. But Jacob said this. Listen, I want you to pay attention. He said, I'll work for you for seven years. That's a long time, isn't it? Seven years. And the fact of the matter is, I want you to catch this. During that time, two years was considered reasonable. But Jacob just blew right on past that. Two years was normal. But Jacob, he just upped the ante real quick. Hey, I, I, she's, she's the best thing I've ever laid eyes on, and I just got to have her hand in marriage. And so I'm willing to work seven years. That just goes to show you how infatuated Jacob was with Rachel. He was willing to do anything to win her hand. He offered to work seven years when the going rate was much less than that. So the point I'm trying to make is that Jacob was willing to give up more than he should. And that's the same thing that people do today. We get to a place where we're willing to give up. We're willing to compromise more than we should so we can have a bride or so we can have a husband. And instead, you know, I, I'm not talking about working seven years. I don't think there's anybody out here that's making that kind of arrangement. But instead, what, what do we begin to do? We begin to compromise our values so that person will love us. We, we, we begin to lower our morals in order to get their attention, in order to catch their eye. We begin to compromise a little bit. We start thinking, no, you know, they might not believe like I do. Or, or you know what, they might not treat them the way that I want them to treat me. But once we get married, I'm going to change them. Famous last words right there. Or maybe we begin compromising our financial principles in order to impress her by whining and dining and gift giving. And in essence, listen, we are agreeing to work seven years when two years is sufficient. 
Because we think we're so focused in. We think that this relationship is finally going to be the last piece of the puzzle. This relationship is finally going to make us fulfilled. This relationship is finally going to complete us. So it's a dangerous thing when you think marriage is the answer. And it will lead you to compromise more than you should. The second thing I want to point out is this. That when you believe that marriage is the answer, you tend to become very demanding. And that's exactly what Jacob did. The Bible tells us that he had worked for Uncle Laban for seven years, which is amazing in and of itself. And he saw that through. He, he didn't get discouraged. He didn't give up and quit. And he worked for him for seven years. And then in verse 21 of Genesis 29, here's what it says. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. I did my part. I did what I agreed to do. Now, now give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go in to her. In other words, Jacob was declaring, I did my part. Now hand her over. Now it's time for her to do her part. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, in the original Hebrew, and I'm going to leave this up here. In the original language, the Hebrew language, what Jacob was saying here is not pleasant. What he was saying here was not honoring to Rachel. It was not a polite thing to say. As a matter of fact, what he did and what he said here in the original language, it's more clear. But he was dishonoring Laban and he was dishonoring Rachel. The essence of what was being said was, give her to me like a possession that I earned. She's now my property. I did my part, now it's time for her to do her part. And quite honestly, church, that is what happens in so many marriages today. And rather than a marriage being a covenant where we give our lives to each other and where we're willing to lay our lives down for each other in a sacrificial way, marriage oftentimes is viewed as nothing more than a contract. I get what I want and you get what you want. I deliver this, therefore you deliver that. And that's the bargain that is struck. It's more like a contract instead of what it was intended to be, which is a covenant. And I want you to know tonight that as soon as that happens, as soon as you begin to view marriage as a contract, our expectations of each other's rise, and all of a sudden we find ourselves dissatisfied because nobody can ever live up to our expectations. Not, not your wife, not that person that, that works in your office. Nobody can ever live up to our expectations. When it's a contract instead of a covenant. When it's all about what you want and it's all about you and selfish things instead of, hey, what I can give, what I can sacrifice, how I can serve. When it becomes a contract instead of a covenant, no one wins. And it can happen in a number of ways, including sex. Before long, if you're not careful, sex it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing to be shared between a husband and wife within the confines of marriage. But if you're not careful, sex can become a pawn to be used. It can become a tool to be withheld to get your way because it comes back to you. It comes back to a contract instead of it being about a covenant. Some of you men here tonight, you, you, may, you may be married to a demanding wife, and I'm not, I'm not going to pick on the wives, you know. I'm, I've got some things to say to the men in just a minute. But, but you, you know, you, you may find yourself, you know, with, with, with a demanding wife, and, and because maybe you change jobs, or, or, or maybe you move, you know, from one place to another, or to a new city, or because maybe because you start making a little extra mon money, then suddenly she begins to use that as leverage against you. Suddenly she begins to use that to get her to do something for her, to buy something for her, or to appease her. Hey, we, we, we did this, and we moved there, and we changed this, and so now you owe me. You owe me because of this. Or maybe you're married to a wife that, that is just nitpicky about every little thing, and you can never do enough, or you can never do anything right. 
And this isn't the time to start elbowing your spouse. That's not cool. Don't do that. So some women can be demanding. And they can all have these expectations that, you know what? They, they just expect men to know automatically. But ladies, can I let you in on something tonight? We don't know. All that stuff that you think we ought to know, those hints, those vibes you've been putting off, we're not picking up what you're laying down. We don't know what you don't tell us. And even when you tell us, if you don't go real slow, we still might not get it. We're good at a lot of things, but we're not good at that mind reading thing. So help us out. But you know what, women, it could be that you're married to a very demanding man. That, that could be what's going on with you. And maybe, maybe you're a working mom and you, you have children, but you also hold down a job. And, and it seems like all you ever do is work, work, work. From the time you wake up, you're, you're taking care of the kids. You're getting them ready for school. You're feeding them. You're, you're getting them, you know, on the bus or whatever it is. Then you go clock in. You work, 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 and it never stops. And then you come home exhausted. And then when your husband comes home, he wants to know where dinner is. And he's demanding and he doesn't consider that you may be tired. He doesn't consider that you've been working hard as well. And what can be even worse is maybe, maybe some of you who are stay-at-home moms and, and your husband comes home at the end of the day and he says something like this, man, it must be nice just to sit around all day and not have to do anything. And in that moment, you are ready to strangle him in the name of Jesus. Send him straight to heaven. demanding. Why? Because expectations are off. Because expectations aren't based and anchored and rooted in reality. And in marriage, that's often what we do when we believe that our spouse is supposed to be the one who meets all of our needs, then we can become very demanding of them. Because if we're not happy, it must be their fault. It must be something they're not doing. Must, it, the reason I'm not happy, the reason everything's not right in my world, it must be because something they're not, they're not doing the right way. They're not doing it the way that I want them to do it. And this sentiment, listen, this sentiment can crop up even in good marriages because of unrealistic expectations. The third thing is this. When you think that marriage is the answer, you're always going to end up dissatisfied. Always. Can somebody say always? Always. Always. Some people, they enter marriage with so many expectations that there's no way that any one person could ever fulfill them all. And listen, when you do that, you're essentially setting your spouse up for failure. You're guaranteeing that your husband's going to fail. You're guaranteeing that your wife is going to fail. And that's what was happening with Jacob and Rachel. I mean, after working for her hand for seven years, expectations had to have been sky high. I mean, Jacob's thinking about this every day, isn't he? He's out there toiling in the fields. He's out there taking care of the livestock. And he's thinking, hey, I'm doing this for Rachel. But when I get Rachel, all this is going to be worth it. All, all this is going to be good because I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to get what I'm after. And she's going to meet my needs. Expectations had to have been sky high. But that isn't all there is to the story. Let me, let me try to set up what we're getting ready to read. Jacob was fixated on marrying Rachel, so he worked seven long, hard years for her. But when the wedding, wedding day arrived, and I'm just kind of summarizing here, when the wedding day arrived, good old Uncle Laban, he began to think about how bad it was going to look for that younger daughter to get married before the older daughter, Leah. And the tradition in that time especially was that the older daughter, the eldest daughter, was supposed to get married first. But we, we read a moment ago, she wasn't as attractive as Rachel was. So what happened on the, the night of the wedding, the night when the marriage, the, 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 the marriage is to be consummated, Uncle Laban pulled a switcheroo. And switcheroo, I believe that's what it says in the original Hebrew. I think that's what it is. It sounds Hebrew, switcheroo. 
And on the wedding night, Uncle Laban, he sent Leah into the marriage chamber instead of Rachel. Yes, there's lots of questions. We don't know. I mean, it was, must have been, you know, a starless light night, you know, total eclipse or something. It was dimly lit. Maybe Jacob was drunk, you know, from the wedding feast. I mean, they, they, they would have seven-day parties leading up to the wedding. But the plan was, you know what, I've got to get Leah in that tent. And if Leah and Jacob go into that tent and they consummate the marriage, then the deed is done. So the next morning, instead of Jacob waking up next to Rachel, he woke up next to Leah. Here's how the story reads, beginning in verse number 23. Now it came to pass in the evening that when he took Leah, his daughter, this is speaking of Laban, and he brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. We're going to skip down to verse 25, same chapter. Here's what it says in verse 25. So it came to pass in the morning that behold... <laughs> it was Leah. And he, Jacob, said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why have you deceived me? This isn't right. This isn't fair. <coughs> Church, here's the bottom line this is what will happen anytime. You think somebody else can meet all of your needs. Whenever you believe that marriage is the answer to all your problems, when you believe that if you can just get married, it's going to take care of everything else, you're going to think that you went to bed with Rachel, but you're going to wake up to Leah. It's getting quiet in here. I'm talking about some unrealistic expectations. If you take those unrealistic expectations with you into a marriage, it's going to come back and it's going to haunt you. Because if you think that there's somebody out there who can meet all of your needs, you are setting yourself up and you're setting your spouse up for frustration. You're setting yourself up for a lifetime of disappointment. Because you're going to wake up one day and you're going to realize that you're still you. Oh, you're a married you. You might have a ring now, but you're still you. And you still have the same problems. And you still have the same, hang same hang-ups. And you still have the same hurts. Because no one person can meet your needs. And, and here's what's interesting. It, it wasn't just on Jacob's side. But Leah was doing the exact, the exact same thing. She thought that if she just went into that marriage chamber that night, she thought, you know what, if I'll just give myself to Jacob, then maybe he'll love me. Maybe she was thinking, you know, once he gets to know me, once he, once he begins to understand my sense of humor, once he gets exposed to my personality, then maybe he will love me. And so she willingly deceived him, and she went into the marriage chamber with a guy who didn't want her. And her story is so similar to so many other stories, always hoping, always thinking, you know what, if I can just do this, if I will just do that, then surely he will love me then. Surely she will love me if I will do that thing. And as you read the biblical account of this marriage between Jacob and Leah, you will see that she tries thing after thing, effort after effort, always hoping that something that she can do will change how he feels. Verse 31 and 32 of Genesis 29 are the saddest verses of this whole story. Here's what it says. When the Lord saw that Leah was, what? She's married now. She's got a husband now. But she's unloved. And the Lord saw that. He took pity on her. He opened her womb. But Rachel, the Bible tells us, was barren. So Leah conceived, and she bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for here's what she said, the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. What's her affliction? Here it is, unloved. 
The Lord has looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, because of what I've done, because I'm giving a son to Jacob, surely now my husband will love me. Because I do this, maybe, just maybe, I won't be unloved anymore. That's that's some heartbreaking words, isn't it? Surely he will love me now. Surely if I'll just do this, she will love me now. If I I give him children, maybe our marriage will work. And if I make more money and buy her whatever she wants, then maybe our marriage will work. And if I just have that surgery, if I just have that procedure to improve my appearance, then maybe he'll be attracted to me. If we're able to achieve this certain level of lifestyle, then surely... Surely she'll love me then. But Jacob didn't love her. And I want to pause for a moment. I just want to ask the question. For everything that we've gone through so far, everything that we've talked about so far, in the story of Jacob and Rachel and Leah, what's missing? What's absent? From the start up until where we are right now, what is is missing here? I'm hearing some of you, a little bit of chatter out there, but let me answer it. Listen. Where's God to be found? There's no evidence of prayer. There's no evidence of seeking the face of God or the will of God. There's no evidence of any faith. There's no evidence of any spiritual connection whatsoever. So far, all we see in this story, it's all based on what someone wants out of someone else. It's all about looking out for number one, right? And this is what we've been taught from the time we were born. If you don't get what you want, then cry about it. If you don't get what you want, throw a fit. Throw a toy or something heavier if you can find it. But by all means, get what you want. And that's a very selfish posture. It's focused on the wrong object in the relationship. You see, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to any other relationship, the most important person is not you. The most important person is not the other individual. The most important person always is God. It's always God. It's like we've been talking about through our vision series. Loving God comes first. It doesn't come at any place in your priority order. And if we don't get that right, it doesn't matter how pretty she is. And it doesn't matter how much he makes you laugh. And it doesn't matter if you don't feel the way about her that you used to feel about her because you're focusing on the wrong thing. Get your focus off of your husband. Get your focus off of your wife. If you're focusing on a person who can't completely fulfill you, you're focusing on the wrong person. You're focusing on somebody who can't make you happy on their own. Listen, when you're focusing on your husband or your wife, you're focusing on somebody who doesn't even have the ability, if they could, to fulfill that emptiness and void that you feel. But there is one. There is one who can. So can I encourage you tonight that instead of seeking each other, would you begin seeking God together? And listen, if you desire a greater intimacy in your relationship, let me tell you the key. Why don't you begin pursuing a greater intimacy with the Lord? If you want a deeper connection with your spouse, then begin to seek a deeper connection with God. That comes first, not second. That's the key to fulfillment. That's the source of purpose. That's the source of where you're going to find meaning for your life. That is where you're going to find that living water that's able to satisfy the thirst and the longing of your soul. It starts with loving God. It starts with loving him with your whole heart. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 implores us but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and when you do and all these things shall be added to you all these other things that are important all these other things you think that are that are necessary listen if you'll just get your relationship with God right if you'll just seek God first If you'll just look for fulfillment in him, if you'll just find your purpose in him, if you'll just find your healing, your completeness in him, 
Seek him first. If you want everything else in the world to work out, you're not going to find it in someone else. You're not going to find it in your spouse. You're not going to find it in your soulmate. You're only going to find it when you seek him first. So if you find yourself tonight maybe being dissatisfied in your relationship, could, could, I, could I pose something here? Maybe your expectations aren't based in reality. Maybe your expectations are out of alignment or unrealistic. Maybe what you want or expect isn't even possible by that person that you're heaping those expectations upon. It could very well be tonight that that frustration that you're feeling is because you're looking, you're looking for answers from the wrong source. Because your husband, because your wife, because they're always there, you automatically put it on them. The story of Jacob and Leah is an incredibly complex one, and I haven't even really begun to scratch the surface tonight. There's so much that I haven't had time to get to, like, like the fact that Jacob went on to work after, after he married Leah, and this is another weird part of the story in 2022. He went ahead to work seven more years so he could get another wife, Rachel, right? You're welcome to go back and reread it, you know, read it for yourself, but I, I want to focus as we come to a close tonight, I want to focus on the end of the story with Leah. To do this, we're going to kind of just, just fast forward a little bit. Leah, the Bible tells us not only did she give birth to Reuben, but she had three sons. And each time that she had a son, with every son that she gave birth to, she, she went into that thinking, maybe this is going to be it. Maybe this is going to be the time where it clicks. Maybe, maybe this son and what I'm able to do for Jacob, maybe this is what's going to cause him to finally love me. And the Bible tells us that Leah goes on to have her fourth son. But something changed this time. Something was different this go around. In verse number 35 of Genesis 29, here's what it said. And she conceived again. She bore a son and said, now I'm going to try something different. I'm not going to do what I've done with these last three sons. I'm going to do something now. I'm going to praise the Lord. Therefore, she called that boy's name. She called that son's name Judah. And then she stopped bearing children. Church, listen to me tonight. Finally, Leah shifted her focus from Jacob to God. She shifted her focus from trying to win the love of a husband to fervently pursuing the love of her God. This time, I don't care what happens. I don't care what the outcome is. I'm going to praise God in the midst, in the middle of it all, I am going to praise the Lord. This time, I'm going to give birth to Judah. I'm going to give birth to praise. You want to know what the amazing thing about all of this is? It's that it was Leah, not Rachel. It was Leah who was the mother of Judah. You want to know what's special about Judah? It was of Judah's lineage. That centuries later, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, would be born. Not of Rachel, but of Leah. Because she made up in her mind, I'm going to put the focus where it needs to be. I'm going to make sure my relationship, my most important relationship, is right. Before everything else, I will praise the Lord. I will worship the Lord. And in doing so, this whole outcome and how the, the, the Savior, the Messiah, came through the lineage of Leah. Listen, the Lord communicated something very important there. He communicated something very loud and clear. And somebody needs to hear this tonight. And here it is. Given the fact that even though 
the marriage between Jacob and Leah, even though it didn't start out right, God was still able to bring an incredible miracle from it. He was still, God was still able to turn it and make it work for good. And I want you to hear this tonight. Listen, if your marriage didn't start out right, or maybe your marriage isn't right right now, listen, with God, anything is possible. You hear me? Anything is possible. Anything. I don't care what your story is. I don't care what they did. I don't care what's happened in the past. Anything, if you'll just let God and then get in the middle of it, if you'll just begin to seek Him first, anything is possible. Or oh, it may look impossible to you. And if so, then maybe you're focusing on the wrong thing. Maybe you're focusing on your spouse instead of focusing on God. Because with Him, Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, TLCDallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.